Hello, and welcome to a new episode of From the Honeycomb, a podcast that creates a spark of positive energy. Here we discuss all things architecture and design, to travel, exploring Vastu Shastra with a modern approach, and I connect with other like-minded women to share their story. I am your host, Katerina Burianova, and welcome to From the Honeycomb. On today's episode, I am joined by Ben Norkin, licensed architect, entrepreneur, and ARE exam guru, here to talk about how the licensure journey plays a key role in becoming a self-employed architect. Ben, welcome to From the Honeycomb podcast. Thank you for having me. What a great intro. (laughs) And I guess I should add another little intro for you is you are the first male guest I've had on besides my husband, so it's a big day, big episode. It's an honor to have you on. Okay, thank you. Happy to break barriers. (laughs) And as we begin every episode, we like to take a moment to ground down and think of something we are grateful for to kind of start the episode on a positive note. So Ben, what are you grateful for in the present moment? I guess two, I'll say a big thing and a small thing. Uh, The big thing is I'm grateful for the fact that I'm able to be self-employed and be doing entrepreneurial stuff. And so a lot of that's hard work, but then there's a lot of that goes into it that was beyond my control that things just, all the things that make you successful that are, that you sort of get just from the way you are, or, you know, society, like other bigger things that sort of are not in my control that sort of worked out in my favor. And then today in the present moment, I'm grateful that my wife has my daughter out on some errands and my son is playing across the street. So I get an hour to do what I feel like doing, which is talking to you. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, good. Well, Ben, I know I know a little bit of background on you because I've used some of your ARE study material, but can you share with the listeners your architecture journey and kind of why you became an architect and where you are today? Okay, sure. This is, well, architecture is a little bit of a second career for me. So right out of college, I was in ROTC in college, so I was an officer in the Navy for six years right out of college. That was my first career, um, but I knew I didn't want to do it forever, so I was looking for something else to do. And so when I got out, I went to architecture school, and I had said this before, but I've had, I had a very layman's understanding of architecture. I really didn't know anything about it. It just seemed like a creative thing that was sort of technical, and I wanted to learn how to build houses. It's like, okay, I'll be an architect. So, you know, so I really knew almost nothing about it. And I was not growing up playing with Legos and sketching or anything like that. So moved back home to DC area, Maryland, just outside DC, went to grad school at Catholic for a three, you know, the three and a half year MARC or whatever it is for those of us with the unrelated background. And then I started working and I worked for about four years before I got licensed. I got licensed at the very end of 2017, or I passed my exams at the end of 2017, got licensed at the beginning of 2018. And then, you know, I thought self-employment was maybe a five-year goal somewhere down the line. It's probably what I wanted to do. And then it turned out that in 2018, I ended up quitting two jobs and working for myself in August of that year, eight months after getting licensed. And so I'm a big proponent of getting licensed and you don't need it. You know, I know that people can have great careers without getting licensed, but for me, it opened doors and provided confidence. I needed to do this kind of crazy thing that I did, which was quit all these jobs and, and work for myself. A bunch of years before I actually thought that was going to be possible. No, that's, um, you were someone I really looked up to during my architecture studying when I was working on getting my license. And I don't know if you remember, we've actually spoken before. I kind of forgot about this until we were reconnecting is you were celebrating your anniversary of being self-employed and gave out like 20 minutes of time to connect with people. 
And I remember talking to you, this was, I don't know when, a couple of years ago now. And I remember asking you what it was like to become self-employed because that's kind of the route I'm on now. I've gotten my license and I'm, I've incorporated, I have my own company, and now I'm, I'm still working full-time at the firm I'm at now, hopefully transitioning to part-time eventually. But you were someone I looked up to because I remember asking you, like, how did you get clients? What did you do? And you just, like, how did you find projects? And I remember you said you went and talked to different contractors and you were just networking and that's something I'm just, I'm a little nervous to still do, but I know just hearing your background and hearing your story, like I know you've inspired me. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. That was, um, I can't remember if that was at three years or four years, but I did a thing where I offered 120 free 20 minute consults. Um, mm-hmm. and they filled up in like a second and it was a really stressful two weeks because it was like, that was the only thing I could do for those two weeks. And I didn't really think about it beforehand, how much time that would be. But I did get to speak to a lot of people, and it was funny because you know a lot of people want to talk about the exams. Tons of people want to talk about working for themselves, and it was a lot of fun conversations that I got to have with people. But it was a little bit stressful giving up that much. I didn't realize how much time I was committing myself to when that happened. I remember when I saw it, I was like, "Wow! Like he's giving this time away for free." But I'm sure you made a huge impact those two weeks, even though it was stressful. You did make a huge impact, and. I'm sure you answered so many questions for licensure. I know you helped me kind of get an idea of what to do, but let's talk about why licensure, like why it's so important, especially if you want to work, uh, if you be be self-employed. Well, like I said, like through Hyperfine, just in the running of it and receiving emails from people and in that transitional phase of their careers and with this, that one specific thing that I did, you know, I've got to talk to a lot of people. And so I talked to a lot of, before, when I took my exams, I just, I went to grad school. I worked for a couple of years. I took my exams. And I just thought that was like the way it was done. And now that I've been helping people pass their exams for so many years now, I've like quickly learned that people are coming at this thing from a million different directions and angles. And not everyone is just like school work exams. People are doing this later in their careers. They're taking time off to start a family or taking time off to run their own architecture firms and never actually get around to licensing. And so, and personally, I sort of worked at a small office. And so there were two guys ahead of me. One was licensed, one was not, but they were both mentors. They're both excellent architects and designers. And then I got licensed before one of them. And so I was the licensed one. Then I came into work the next day and asked him for help. So I, you know, I very personally know that being a licensed architect does not necessarily make you better. I think the journey does. And so for me personally, it gave me confidence. And it's also like way easier to say at a cocktail party, you say, yeah, I'm an architect. You don't have to explain the whole intern thing. <laughs> But that said, I think it it opens doors. It gets you more opportunities. It's easier. I think it's probably easier to sell your services if you're working for yourself. You can say, yeah, I'm an architect as opposed to, well, I'm an unlicensed building designer and I can do this for you. So, you know, I like helping people pass the AREs because then they can get done with it and they can choose what they want to do with it. And then then they're licensed and whether they want to get licensed or not at that point, they're done and then they can go through. So I think I might have answered your question in there somewhere. <laughs> You did. You did. And you brought up a good point I wanted to talk about is when you're telling someone that you are a licensed architect versus not licensed. And I think while I was going through the exams, so much of my family and so many people didn't know how many exams architects have to go through, just how hard they are. Um, I kind of compare it to like taking six bar exams when I explain it to people just to give them an idea of how difficult it is. But it's mind-blowing how many people don't know the difficult journey we have to get licensed. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's not easy. 
and a lot of good people, a lot of smart, talented designer architects fail exams because it's not an easy thing to do. Though when I was going through the exams, I looked at it like you need three things to be an architect. You need to get your degree, you need to finish your hours, and you need to pass your exams. And so by the time you're done with your degree, you're already a third of the way there. And then around the time I was doing my exams, I was more or less done with my hours. So I was like, okay, I'm two thirds done. Now I just have five exams to go. I was a I was a transition person, so I was able to do it. You know, I started at 4.0 and then went to five. So I was able to do it in, in five. So by the time I had done three out of five exams, I was like, oh, I've got 67% because of school and AXP and then whatever, then another 60% of that last third percent, you know, that then I'm 60% done with the last 30%. So I was looking, I was like, yeah, I'm almost there. I'm like 90% of the way there. That is an amazing mindset. I never would have thought, consider architecture school one, consider getting all my internship hours as one. And then, oh, I'm already two thirds of the way done. Man, I wish I had that mindset going in because I did <laughs> I did not. And coming from California, I, so I did the ARE 5.0s. As you mentioned, if anyone listening is unfamiliar, the ARE exams, they have different versions. And around the time, Ben, you were taking yours, they were transitioning from 4.0 to 5.0. And you could transition where certain ones counted for the other ones. I was in the, I started 5.0 right when it first came out. And I just finished getting licensed last year. And I don't know where my thought was going on that whole process, but the 5.0 transition, I'm sorry, I totally lost my train of thought now. Well, that was, that's one of those serendipitous things that I sort of mentioned earlier that mm-hmm. you know was beyond my control. And so I was a transition person. And so when I was taking the 5.0 exams, all the study material was just 4.0 stuff with a new cover on it. Like my Kaplan book literally had a section in it about the vignettes which were no longer, you know, which were retired with 4.0. But so the study material didn't catch up. So I was in there. I wasn't a, an official early tester, but I was within the first year. So mm. it was still new. People didn't know what was on it. And so when I had people asking me, what did I study? And asking for tutoring and stuff like that, it's sort of how I got into, it's exactly is how I got into test prep, which is not at all a goal of mine that I had when I started taking my exams. It was just, you know, it was good timing and and then hard work, but equally attributable to, to any success. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I was one of the first few test takers to take the 5.0. And I remember there was really nothing out there like you just mentioned. And then once I kind of jumped back in, in 2018, 2019 is how I ended up finding your hyperfine, your workbooks. And those were just so helpful and so insightful. And they just made sense on, because there's just so much content to cover for the ARE exams and you kind of made it it's kind of funny actually seeing your face and your voice now as we're talking because I've had your voice on so many YouTube videos, you know, drawing out stuff, especially from, I think, programming and analysis, that exam, I really used your stuff. So it's it's kind of a full circle moment, actually, this episode too, for me is just like now talking to you after licensure. And I did want to ask about, so you are licensed in Washington, D.C., correct? Uh, Maryland and Washington, D.C. I live in Maryland in the suburbs of D.C. Most of my projects are here in Maryland, but I've got Maryland and D.C. too. Nice. Because I was wondering, I know you posted recently, were you studying for the California exam, the CSEs? I was. I was studying. I was like seven weeks into an eight-week study plan for the CSE, and then COVID hit, and so everything stopped, and I haven't been able to get the motivation to get back to it, which is good. A story that I hear a lot of times from from people doing the ARE. And so I'm like, I understand that completely because it, it's unlike school where you sort of do it and there's a deadline and you pass and then your hours, which you just mark off as you go along. Like 
the thing that's hard about the exams is it's it's self-paced and it's on you and it's a lot of times it's not a requirement um especially now with no rolling clock there's not really hard deadlines anymore um it could be a hard thing to push through if no one else is is pushing to do it so i keep almost getting the motivation back to do the cse but because i don't have you know i used to live in california when i was in the navy i was stationed in san diego so i'm plotting my return and i would like to get licensed in california to maybe work there but i don't have anything that that i have to do so with all this other stuff going on it's it's at the bottom of my list of it's high on the list of things i want to do and keeps being on the bottom list of things that I actually do. No, absolutely. That was going to be my next question is why getting a license in California? Because I do want to touch base on that too in the episode, since we are talking about licensure, is once you are licensed in one of the states in the U.S., you can get reciprocity. So you can apply to different states, but you have to, for example, take the other exam. So I know you coming from Maryland, you have to take our California exam. And I know when I was studying for it, there were so many, I was surprised how many out of state candidates that were studying for the exams. So it's really interesting to know how many people do want to work in California. It's California. Everyone wants to be there. (laughs) Yes, yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um, No, it's a great state. And I'm in Orange County, so I I know San Diego area is beautiful. So, so yeah. And then kind of returning back to, so then licensure and becoming self-employed and your journey is you were working two jobs and where was like that turning point where you said, I want to become licensed and self-employed? Was it, did you have a plan? I know when I remember talking to you a couple of years ago, I don't believe you necessarily had a full plan. It just kind of happened. Yeah. Like I said, I thought it was, it was a long-term goal. I thought it was like five years away. I and mean, that's sort of why I started Hyperfine, which started only as Revit trading. And I was like, okay, if I make a little bit of money from this, I'll just put that aside and build up a runway. And then in five years, I can quit my job and work for myself. But right after being licensed, the place that I was had been at for four years, I wasn't really enjoying the projects we were doing. And then I got an opportunity to work for a friend of mine for what was supposed to be the first multifamily passive house in Washington, DC. Um, it was a big project. And so I was into that stuff. You know, I still am, but it was basically a great opportunity. So I quit my job, went to work for my friend on this project. And then I think within a month, maybe a month and a half of me getting there, we got fired from it. And so it had been going on for a long time. It was a complicated situation. So all of a sudden I was, you know, and this was like maybe April or May of 2018. And I think we got fired in maybe June. And so once we lost that job, I was at a similar job, but... It was downtown, so I had a commute. It was slightly less compensation. There was, you know, so for doing similar work, it was a worse situation. Plus, I was, it was a Vectorworks office, and so I was like learning new software, learning new office standards. And so my timeline for working for myself dropped, and I was like, well, maybe I don't need five years. Maybe I need two years. And then the week after, I was like, maybe I just need one year. Maybe I'll just like finish these projects I'm doing on. And then I just had one day where I did some task that took me all day in Vectorworks that I could have done in like a minute in Revit. And I was like, well, what did I really learn? Like, then I sort of asked myself, like, okay, you keep thinking you need more time, but what specifically do you need to learn before you work for yourself? And I couldn't think of one specific thing. Like, yes, in general, I would like more experience. I would like to learn more things, but there was not, I didn't have a list of things that, you know, or I couldn't come up with a list of actual specific things. So I was like, okay. So I talked to my wife and from that point, it was 10 days when I, you know, once I was like, oh, actually, maybe I can do this. So, and then once I had that idea, then it was, it was like no time. Also, it was 10 days later, I ended up quitting and working for myself. Wow. 
And I should say, you know, to our conversation about what you do when you first work for yourself, I actually have this on a blog on my site about how to make money in your first weeks and months of being self-employed. And so the place I quit, the second job I quit, the guy I work for is, you know, what I consider the best architect that I personally know. He's a friend, mentor, excellent architect. It just wasn't a great fit for me at that time. And once we lost that big project, it was a little bit expensive for him to keep me on salary as well. So it sort of worked out for both of us. So one of the things I did is that I still worked hourly to finish up the projects I had. So yes, I was technically self-employed, now a contractor, but I had a little bit of income from that. Hyperfine was making about $10 a day. So that was, you know, covers like Good. a grocery trip or something once a month. Yeah. And then I had various other things and it gave me more time to go out and and find projects, which I don't know, you just that's what you have to do. I'll provide a link in the show notes for that article or for the, your blog post so listeners can listen to it. Yeah, that was it. That was the story. I mean, it's what I tell people, obviously, if you're going to do this, maybe it's better to have a plan, have some money saved up. But at the same time, it was a probably a good time to do it. Just the economy was pretty strong. There were jobs, there were projects. And I had, you know, I always had to mention that like my wife is, you know, works full time. So we, you know, so she had a salary. I had a little bit of money coming in. And the worst thing that would could have happened at that point is that I would just have to go get another job. Like we weren't at risk of losing our house. We weren't at risk of not feeding our kids or kid. Yeah, we had two kids at that point. So yeah, we, we weren't at risk of like really terrible things, knock on wood. We just, maybe I would have had to go get another job. No. And did you start out as a sole proprietor or did you incorporate? No, I started as a sole proprietor because it was the easiest thing which is pretty much how I make most decisions. It's like, what's the easiest least barrier to entry? And I just, in what year is this? 2023. In 2022 was my first year incorporated because I came in S-Core because it's mm. ideal for taxes. So that'd be my one, <laughs> my one bit of advice. If you're going to start working for yourself is incorporate right away because if you want to become an S-Core for the tax savings, you can usually do that retroactively, but only up to the point that you have an LLC. You can't retroactively make yourself an S-Corp while you were technically a sole proprietor. Interesting. Interesting. I know in the state of California, architects can't be an LLC, which is why I steered clear of LLC. I don't know if you know why by any chance. I don't know why. And so I know every state is different. Yeah. So I'm not mm -hmm. giving actual legal advice, but <laughs> if, you're in a, if you're in a state where in some places that has to be like, I think in most cases, you can pretty much always be a sole proprietor, but mm -hmm. In most cases, you usually can be an LLC. And so definitely that's something to check out, like the business entity that you're allowed to use and what you should use. But I know plenty of sole proprietor architects. And, you know, I talked to other architects before I, right before I quit and right after about how they did. And people do all kinds of stuff. Like some guys don't even carry insurance. They just have limits of liability in their contracts. And there's all kinds of different things. So don't necessarily be scared of being just a sole proprietor. I did it for three years and I only changed because I wanted some tax benefits of becoming an S-Corp. No, yeah, there's definitely the benefits. And yeah, I went right away S-Corp. It is definitely more upfront financial decision. I think I'm a little bit overwhelmed with how much more I just getting set up and the fees to get set up as versus sole proprietor. I know you can just really get just a business license in your town, right? I don't know how much work a sole proprietorship takes. Yeah, here in Maryland, it was pretty hands off. I didn't need anything. I filed as a DBA. So I, you know, I practice as Ben Norkin architecture, but as a sole proprietor here and probably most places, everything just goes on your personal tax returns. You put a, I use QuickBooks self employed to track my expenses. I opened up a new business checking account. I got a credit card that I use only for business. So all my expenses are 
pretty easy to keep track of. And then you just get a schedule C that you put, you know, with your regular old 1040 that you do for your family. So for people who don't know, once you're an S-Corps, you have to be on salary. So you need a payroll service to pay yourself salary. That usually means you also now have to pay unemployment taxes. You've got to pay the registration fees for being an LLC. Here in my state, I had to then register as a business with the Department of Labor, with the license two different places with the Department of Labor, maybe with the Treasury Department here in Maryland as well. I can't remember. It was, it was a bunch of kind of like pain in the ass kind of stuff for saving a big percentage of your FICA and Medicare taxes. Yeah. No, yeah, there's definitely benefits to S-Corp for sure. And you brought up, I wanted to ask actually a point is, so when you are setting up as a sole proprietor, some of the contracts you use, did you use AIA contracts when you first started out or did you make your own? Um, probably a little bit of everything. So I downloaded, I joined Entree Architect for a little bit and I downloaded some of their free stuff. And so one of the things is, is a contract. And so I started with that. And then actually the first client I ever got for my, for myself, working for myself happened to be a lawyer, a contracts lawyer. And so at some point in the process of that job, she owed me for additional services. I was like, how about you just review my contract instead? So I did have, you know, so I had, I started with the Entree Architect. I put in my own things that I wanted just from my limited experience and talking to other architects. And then I had an actual contracts lawyer review it. And so I like my contract, but the fact is like here outside DC, it seems like 75% of my clients are lawyers. I feel like if someone's going to sue me, then it's not, the contract's not going to probably like save me too much. So I try to tell people, don't be too scared of this kind of thing. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. do a good job. And some stuff is out of your hands, but don't let this kind of stuff be a barrier. You know, be smart, but don't let this be a barrier to doing what you want to do. No, absolutely. And I'm pleasantly surprised with, as I was starting to learn about how to put together the S-Corp and all the documents that need to be put together and kind of going off on my own, it's been really nice to know that even the exams I studied for, the information is so valid because the exams didn't cover, especially practice management, project management, and CE, construction valuation. Those had a little bit of contracts and setting up, especially practice management, that I didn't learn anything. I I didn't go to business school. I went to architecture school only. And it's been really nice to know how much the exams helped me already know. Like I've done so much research. I mean, I memorized contracts. I know so much going in. It's kind of been a nice little leg up where I'm already confident using certain terms. And like when I was at the bank and he's like, are you C Corp or S Corp? And I knew why I was an S Corp. And it's just the exams give me so much confident already, like confidence already going into setting up my own. So it's been really nice how, because, you know, when you're studying for the exams too, sometimes you're like, Gosh, you know, do I really need to know this? What if I, you know, there's a few in content that you're just like, maybe I'll never use this, but it's been nice to be able to use that content in real life. That's what, when I was taking my exams, that's sort of what I looked at it. I was like, okay, I'm going to learn all these things that I didn't learn in school. That's going to make me feel legitimate. Cause I did, you know, I worked at a single family residential place. So, cause I wanted to do, that's what I wanted to do, but then you're not doing IBC, you're not doing concrete and steel and, you know, I don't know, these big architecture thing, you're not doing curtain walls. And so I was like, okay, well now I'm going to like learn all this stuff and I'm going to feel like a legitimate architect. And then maybe as a side benefit, I'll pass some exams as well. So for you, it was, you know, contracts for me, I was more interested in the technical stuff, but now that, you know, then I started transitioning and worked for myself. And then I also got that interest of the business side of the finances and the taxes and, and all that stuff as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause we definitely don't learn that in architecture school. I think no matter which architecture education route you take, whether it's, you know, the five-year undergrad or the four plus two, or like you did the graduate program, there is so much that we're just not taught that the exams really do help out with. That's probably what, you know, when you said earlier that people don't know how many exams it is, what people really don't know is probably how different school and practice are in our field. It's completely mm-hmm. different things. And looking back on it, I think it's probably probably the way it should be because you got to have time to think about, you know, when you see a house or something that was designed by someone without formal training, you can tell that they don't know about entry path arrival and symmetry and proportion, all these things that maybe we take for granted now and you maybe brushed off before. But yeah, I think I always say I would love to go back to architecture school now where I could just go and design stuff and have fun with it. Because at the time, you know, like I said, I was coming out of the Navy. I had an unrelated degree. I didn't grow up drawing. I didn't grow up playing with Legos. Like I didn't say, I don't want to say I struggled with school, but I definitely didn't get it until sort of at the end. I was like, oh, this is what I should have been doing the whole time. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. If I could redo architecture school, it would have been now with what I know, it would have been completely, I would have put less stress on trying to remember, especially detailing and how everything comes together. Cause you're going to learn that eventually and having more fun with design. It was definitely, and especially I went to school in Chicago and I was just talking to my coworkers about frost lines and how you have to build the retaining wall under a, in Chicago, it's 42 inches is the frost line. And I had an internship in California while I was at school. And I remember I was drawing a detail for my boss and I said, so what's the frost line out here? And he's like, we don't have a frost line. You're like, you're good. You just need like, you know, barely a foot of concrete. And so there's definitely, you just eventually learn so much more in practice. Yep. This is true. You learn. Yeah. I mean, it's, so varied in the amount of things that you're sort of dealing with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Especially, I know like the HVAC, the mechanicals, even though I had classes on that, whenever it, it comes up on a project, if I even spend an afternoon, you know, work, talking to the mechanical engineer and just really understanding the systems, what I learned in an afternoon in practice could be what I learned in like four weeks of school. So it's definitely, it does vary. Although school was a good foundation for everything, absolutely. Um, There's a lot definitely to learn once you are practicing. And I wanted to ask you about kind of, it's a little bit of a personal question, just advice for, for myself as I am starting out now is, or what you would tell someone Going in, so I'm I'm confident in my relationship with clients and you know some design work and things like that. Where I'm nervous on the architectural front for starting a firm is definitely the construction details. It's something I know I'll constantly be learning. And you made a great point: is when you're working in single family residential homes, you're not doing curtain walls, you're not using all sorts of different materials, and there's just so much fast information once you are drawing the details is that's one thing I'm I'm a little worried about. I don't have that enough of experience and also the firm I work for at now, my boss does a lot of the detailing. So what's some kind of advice if there's an area or aspect someone's nervous about, what kind of advice would you have for that or for my instance? Yeah, that's a great question because confidence has definitely been the number one bit of adversity I think I've probably faced in that I started working for myself only four years after four years after school, which I think is still kind of early. And while I have friends and mentors and other architects to turn to, for the most part, when you're self-employed, you're on an island. And I always wonder, like, am I doing the right thing for my clients? Do I, you know, is my solution to this the right way? Or is it just the only way that I know how to do it? And so the more 
the further I get in, the more confidence I have that I am doing it the right way. And I've had in the last year, I've had a couple of projects that were sort of difficult that, you know, some not great things happened and thinking about them, the similarities they share is like, is I let the client or I let other uh, people involved sort of like get me out of my process. And so I think if you know what you do well and, and you stick to it and you make sure like you dictate the process, then you're going to be okay. Because, you know, thinking about these two projects, like a hundred percent of the things that went wrong were directly attributed to people not letting me do my job or asking me to do less or not really work the way that I work. And so try to have confidence in the fact that you, you got licensed, like you have a ton of formal training, you've got various years of on the job training. Um, so you do have experience and you probably do know what you're doing. And then it's just getting a little bit better every day. Like if I look at my drawings from two years ago, like, oh man, that's not that good compared with what I'm doing today. But you don't see that if you're like improving just a little bit every day, it's hard to tell. So if you look at what you're doing three years ago to what you're doing today, I'm sure you're going to be better. Detailing for me, it's like that has always, detailing and specifications far and away the two weakest parts of, of what I've done to date. And so in the last year, I've made a conscious effort to actually improve both of these things. And that's all you can do is, Maybe set a goal, be strict with yourself about what it is you want to learn, and then just do a little bit better on each project, you know? And it's funny, one thing, I've been working for myself four years or, you know, coming up on five years now, and I haven't had a detail library today because if it was a detail, I just drew it for each project. And then even if it was like something like a typical wall detail that I'm using multiple times. And so just in the last three months, instead of detailing it, like a, I'm in Revit, so instead of detailing like live sections in Revit, I just started making a detailed library of drafting views that I can now use. And so you can't get everything perfect on day one, but you can be good enough to do a good job for your clients and not get yourself in trouble and do good work. And then you just pick one thing and start doing a little bit better every day. Oh, that's great advice. It's so true that because it, it is daunting when you are just on your own, like you said, and you gave a great analogy is once you work for yourself, it's an island because I've kind of already started to have that mindset at my current job is, you know, something will come up and I'll have a question and I'll be like, well, what would I do if I was working by myself right now? And I can't turn to my two coworkers, which similarly is one is licensed and one isn't licensed. So back to what you were talking about your journey. So, and also, and I'm licensed now and I have to ask my unlicensed coworker who's been in the field for, you know, almost as long as I've been alive, you know, <laughs> what would I do in this situation? So it's definitely, I like what you said about confidence too, and just keeping confident because I know even as a young female and I look much younger, I think for my age too, is the confidence I bring to a job site or when I'm, you know, in a meeting is something I'm definitely just thinking back on, I've done the exams, I've done school, I have X amount of years of experience and yeah, just confidence. I, I like your advice. Yeah. And that's another barrier that you deal with that I don't have to worry about, but I will say, I think I'm about 10 years older than you. So by the time you are my age, you're going to be dominating. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No. Um, yeah. Cause I'm, yeah, I'm 31. So we were talking about I'm 42. About that. Okay. Yeah. 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 So we're... Second career, you know. Yeah. No. I and it, <laughs> I'm sorry, you what? I said, I feel 31. <laughs> 
Well, what's interesting is the episode before you that's going to come out with a guest is actually a friend of mine from college, and she did architecture school with me, and then she joined the Navy, and she's now a Navy officer who does architecture. She got licensed. She also used Hyperfine to get licensed, and now she's okay, a- You got to put me in touch with her. I got I to gotta talk Navy with yeah? her. <laughs> Absolutely. I will definitely put her in touch with you. No, I'm sure she's, I was really excited when you reached out to me. I actually wrote her and said, you know, can you believe Ben Norkin from Hyperfine wants to come on the podcast? Because she was my study buddy. Like we kept each other kind of accountable and just cheered each other on, especially with failures. So it's interesting um, now that she's in the Navy, but yeah, I'll, I'll connect you guys. That's funny. I had like, well, thank you. Well, I hope that I'm approachable and I'm not at all. I'm just a regular person, but I had the same experience recently with uh, Christine Williamson, who runs Building Science Fight Club, who is mm-hmm. a hero of mine. Um, <laughs> and I just recently, part of the reason that that I've been able to get in touch with you is I recently hired a friend of mine to do Instagram for me. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, emailing me a list of people. She was like, should we talk to this person, this person, this person? And so she put Christine on there. I was like, oh, well, she's a really big deal. So let's not like talk to her. But then Christine started following me. And so I texted my friend. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like Christine followed me. <laughs> And so then we started talking. And so I actually got to Zoom with her earlier this week and we had a lot in common and your heroes are are just regular people. And so I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. And yeah. I think that was most of that point. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And it is like this community of, I was talking to Bryn Young from Be Design, Be Young Design. I don't know if you know, yeah, I know it's a, it starts to be a small community. Yeah, Everybody we, starts to kind of- been, uh, we've been like canceling on zoom with each other for like a month now. So we keep, we keep emailing. I'm supposed to talk with her about working together and doing various things and and doing stuff like this. And we just haven't been able to schedule it yet, but yeah, I'm a big fan of her as well. Yeah, she's great. I had her, I interviewed with her last week. So, but it's funny, this, like this community starts to be created. And one thing I was talking to her about is not on the episode, but just in DMs is, you know, we start to form this community as we are studying for the exams and we kind of all reach out to each other, everybody talks, or you're using each other's, you know, study material. And then there's that shift where some of us get licensed and we stay where we, you know, we stay continuing working at the firm we're working at. But then there's that group of us who starts to go towards being self-employed and wanting to be on our own. And that's kind of where I like that you kind of have this like second journey on your website, on your courses. And Bryn kind of has the same thing as well as we're continuing on this journey together from the exams, but now and you're, we're rooting for each other then, and then we're rooting for each other again on the second part. And that's kind of a cool, cool thing where the community shifts and grows, but we're on it together for the long run. Yeah, all true. Great points. It's been a journey um, for sure for licensure. I know it sounds like for you as well. And would you have any advice for someone who, I guess kind of just to kind of conclude the episode, some advice for someone who is planning on going off on their own and is maybe in the midst of their licensure journey? I think we've covered a bunch of good stuff. I don't know if I have any specific things to say. It's not like a checkbox, like do X, Y, and Z. You know, you sort of have to make that decision and Okay. One other little thing is that a dollar saved is a dollar earned. And so when I first started working for myself, one thing we did is, is I watched my son one day a week instead of hiring a nanny. 
And so then I didn't have the burden of earning that money to then pay the nanny, you know? And so, cause we didn't know what was going to happen. So one thing you can do is reduce your expenses. And if you've got a family and kids, maybe that's not the easiest thing. If you're single or unattached, it might be a little bit easier, even if it doesn't feel that way, you know? So yes, you got to figure out how to earn money because like I said, like that next paycheck, when you quit your job and then in two weeks, you don't get a paycheck, like that two week goes really fast, but you can also save money in other ways. My boss, when I had one of my first jobs, said that like, if you win a thousand dollars, what do you do with it? And everyone thinks, okay, I'll buy this, or maybe I'll save it. Or, you know, everyone thinks how they're going to spend it. But really the answer is that's a thousand dollars. You don't have to now earn, you know, so maybe that's your vacation time, or that's just time that you don't have to work. So keep that in mind when you try to think about, you know, your budget for the next year or where you're going to get income from, think how much you can reduce, but it's different stresses, finding the jobs, getting paid, dealing with the S-Core stuff or LLC and all these things. Like it's just different stresses that you have with a real job. But I would take this seven days a week. It's so much better being able to go to the grocery in the middle of the day if I want to, get my kids from school if they're sick or do all these things, go get the car vehicle admissions tested and not have to take time off work, not have to call in sick, not have to do Zoom meetings. I guess we all do that sometime, but you know, it's... Just the the problems and the challenges, I think, with being self-employed are are so much better than the problems and challenges and stresses of having a job, a real job. I still don't think I have a real job, even though I get two of them. No, absolutely. I agree with all of that. And I'm so looking forward to that for for myself as well, because it it sounds like a, a luxury, like even just those little things you said, you, you know, time is so valuable. And when you are self-employed, what you do with your time is there's just so much value to that. The other thing I'll try to like wrap it up, but the (laughs) other thing now that I'm, now that I'm thinking about it is that you can be an architect and I consider myself an architect, but all my money doesn't come from architecture. I get hyperfine. I have plenty of my own projects, but I also still do production work for other architects, which is a great way to meet people and still learn from people and get involved with bigger projects. Maybe I get my own so there's, you know, so if you are self-employed, I think your real job is to be an entrepreneur. And if you want to call yourself an architect, that's great. And if most of your money comes from architecture, that's even better. But if you're self-employed, your job is just to make your salary. And that can happen in a bunch of different ways. It doesn't have to be all landing a project, doing drawings, getting a permit, and then finding the next one. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming on from the Honeycomb. I have loved our conversation, connecting with you. And this has been a real treat. Yeah, for me too. I'm excited that I got on Instagram and now I'm getting in touch yeah. with people that you know I've talked with in the past and, and starting to make more, you know, more meaningful relationships, I guess, in the community, like you talked about. Oh, absolutely. And so now listeners can find you on Instagram and where else can everybody find you? Mostly at hyperfinearchitecture.com or bennorkinarchitecture.com or LinkedIn or Instagram. All of those. I'll provide links in the show notes. But the websites are, you know, yeah. Email, direct email is probably the best thing. Perfect. I'll provide a link in the show notes for all of the ways to connect with Ben. Again, Ben, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of From the Honeycomb. If you liked it, please give it a heart or thumbs up and click the follow button so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can follow me on Instagram at From the Honeycomb Podcast and be sure to check out the link in the show notes to sign up for my monthly newsletter where you will receive a spark of positive energy in your inbox. Thank you so much and see you next week.